All right, our text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Three verses this morning as we head toward the end of the book. There's just 22 verses left in Paul's letter to the Philippians, and therefore to us by extension. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So here's our text, starting in verse 2. Paul says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. We've seen a number of themes in this book as we've studied through it. One of the themes that has kept popping up from time to time is the importance of unity within the church. As far as Paul is concerned, unity is not just something that would be nice if possible. It's not something that is preferable. It is an absolute necessity in the church. And he's been bringing it up here and there in this book as he discusses what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ because he's been preparing the church for this moment in the letter where he calls out these two ladies by name and he addresses the discord that they have brought into the church, into the body of Christ, and then he commands them and the church at large to deal with it. Uh, And to me it is a reminder that while the Bible is full of doctrinal principles, it is also speaking to me and and to you individually and and directly. You know, we come to God's Word and... uh, It says, you know, here's what Jesus said, here's what Jesus did, here are the different interactions we have with the Lord, here's the plan for the future, and all of that, you know, lots of different, you know, uh, principles and narratives and things like that. Uh, But this text here also reminds me that God is also saying, yeah, you, you are who I am talking to. Uh, He's commanding us to do this as individuals specifically. And that's the example we see in Euodia and Syntyche here. They were fellow laborers in the gospel, which means that they were Christians, they were in the church, uh, yet they were failing to apply what God had said to them to this area of their life. And it was causing really serious problems in the church, and Paul needed to deal with that. The same situation can work itself out in our own lives if we're not diligent to actually apply the scriptures to our behavior and to our decision-making. Because if we're coming to the Christian life on a philosophical level alone, or perhaps on a cultural level alone, um, then we're going to fail miserably when it comes to pleasing God. And that is what the Christian life is about, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and pleasing God. Instead, we need to come to the Christian life on an exhaustive level. Because after all, we're called not to just love the Lord our God with our minds. It's not just a philosophical thing that we read about and think, oh, that, that would be a great thing. No, we're called to love the Lord our God with our mind, our soul, our heart, and our strength as well, and an exhaustive abandon to our faith in Christ. So since we know that the principles that the Holy Spirit has delivered to us in the Bible are actually for life and for godliness, let's unpack these verses this morning and see how we can avoid the situation that these two Philippian ladies found themselves in. So look at verse 2 again. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, so the situation here was a disagreement, a disunity among these two ladies. Paul addressed a number of different issues in the different church letters that he wrote. 
You know, we think of Corinthians as one of the more famous ones where he says, hey, you see this guy over here who's living uh, in an incestuous relationship with his mom? Maybe we should deal with that, and uh, you need to put him out of the church and treat him as an unbeliever. In this situation, you had two ladies who were Christians, and they had some sort of disagreement with one another, uh, and it was causing a lot of problems. Now, in a moment, we're going to see that Paul is going to muster the entire church to assist in dealing with this disunity because disunity between two Christians in a church causes incredible amounts of problems and incredible amounts of stumblings among God's people. That's what we need to take away from this this morning. The apostle spoke strongly and specifically to these ladies that they should set aside their quarrel and they should unite together in the Lord. And so what we learn is that when we come into the church, there is a greater mission than my opinion or your opinion. There's, a, there's something bigger going on. There's a more serious plan being worked out than whether we share the same stance or whether I'm right about a particular issue or not. Because remember, as Christians, we come to the Lord, and as disciples, we relinquish our, life, our rights, we relinquish our lips and our lives to our God as bondservants. That's what being a disciple is saying, I will leave behind my life so that I can follow you. I will crucify myself so that I can do whatever you ask me to do, Lord, because I love you and I want to please you. That's discipleship. And so when two Christians start quarreling together, the progress of not only their relationship, but the progress of their congregation is going to slow or even stop for a time. Now, some commentators suggest that these two women hosted the Philippian church in each of their houses. We don't know that from the text, but it's an interesting speculation. If that were the case, then each of these ladies' homes was like a church campus. You know, we're, uh, in this day and age, we're kind of familiar with the idea of um, what they sometimes call satellite churches, you know, where you have one church and multi-campuses. Um, it's possible that it was working out kind of like that, where you, you lived in Philippi, um, the ch most churches met in homes. That means that they could only accommodate a certain number of people. And so when the church grew, perhaps at you know, different times they would meet in this home and different times they would meet in a different home. We're not quite sure. But if this was the case, it would be like this. You would go to Euodia's campus uh, for church on Sunday night, and you'd hear a lot of really negative things about Syntyche and what a deadbeat Syntyche is and how she doesn't know what she's talking about. And then vice versa. The same thing was going on at the other campus. And the problem was it was affecting the congregation and it was causing dissension and gossip and partisanship. And what Paul says here is very clear. You can have an opinion, you can have stances on different issues, but when you come into the house of God, it does not matter who is right and who is wrong on an issue of debate, on a non-essential issue. What matters instead is the gospel. That's what matters, the work of Christ. So you may have an opinion or an issue or a methodology or something going on, you know, an idea about something going on in the world, and that's fine. God's not asking you to not have opinions. Instead, he's asking you that to step into the church and be Jesus-oriented, not opinion-oriented, because that's what matters. And dividing over non-essential issues of culture or doctrine and spending our energy as Christians arguing about those things is toxic to the church. That's what we're seeing here. Now, as the church, we are to get involved and help people stay unified when these situations arise. Look at verse 3. Paul turns his attention and he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, 
whose names are in the book of life. There's more speculation on who this true companion is. We just don't know. So when you're reading a commentary and they say, well, this is who the true companion is, yeah, we don't know because the text doesn't say. So, you know, you can speculate, but you can't, you know, form a belief based on speculation. Otherwise, you know, you just don't have authority to, uh, authority for what you're thinking. Some suggest that he's speaking of Paul's wife. Uh, others suggest that he's speaking to the husband of one of these ladies in verse 2. What seems more likely is the speculation uh, that the true companion is Epaphroditus, who is the, the man from Philippi who came to aid Paul and to assist him, who Paul had talked about a while back, and now is going to be carrying the letter back to Philippi to deliver Paul's teaching. Uh, it doesn't really matter who the actual person was. It's fun to think about, but it doesn't matter because what matters is that we are to place ourselves in that position. You and I are the true companion that we should that place ourselves into that text. We should be reminded that we are spiritual companions with one another within the church. Now, the actual meaning of that word companion is yoke fellow. We are co-laborers, co-plowers in the field where Christ has called us. We are bearing his light and easy yoke of discipleship. And when we think about that, it should help us grab onto the right perspective that the Lord wants for us. That yes, we have differences of opinion. Yes, we have differences of conviction or methodology. That's fine. But we are called together to work a field in God's kingdom. And when two oxen are plowing a field, they cannot be in disagreement over which way to go. Because they are connected together and they're given a direction by the master. And so if two oxen are, are yoked up together and they're busy arguing over which direction to go or arguing over some sort of minutia, uh, the work isn't going to get done. The field is not going to develop. And those oxen are going to injure themselves and one another. This is what happens when spiritual yoke fellows choose to fight to be right about an opinion rather than be at peace with one another. And now, honestly, this hits, this hits home for me as I was reading through this and working through it because I'm a debater. Uh, I love to debate. Uh, it was one of my favorite things in school. Uh, and, you know, honestly, when I look within myself, I know that I want to be right all the time. And I want you to know that I'm right all the time. And, you know, that is, you know, part of my sin nature. But that attitude is contrary not only to the character of Christ, but it's contrary to the call of Christ as well. It's absolutely contrary to it. Because in the church, it doesn't matter if you're right about some issue that you're passionate about. What matters is the gospel. That is the personal principle that we are seeing in this text. Unfortunately, there are problems of disunity within the church. We'd like there not to be, but there are. So as disciples, we are called not to ignore or avoid those problems when we see them, but instead we are called to be peacemakers. After all, God promises us peace. He gives us the Holy Spirit uh, within us to produce the fruit of peace in our lives. So we as Christians should be characterized by peace and patience with one another. We should be characterized by harmony with one another. Musically speaking, harmony speaks of a couple of things. It speaks of structure, it speaks of compatibility, it speaks of progression. That's what harmony is about in music. In the church, God has given us a certain structure that he has revealed in the word. And he then raises up different individuals to fit in that structure in specific places and specific ways. And then he gives a vision and a calling for that specific church to progress in. And so when a choir is singing in harmony, individual members come together 
and they balance each other. They are balanced together. They're not singing whatever words or whatever notes they want to sing at the time. They're not taking a solo if they feel like it because, you know, that's their, you know, uh, uh, prerogative. They're not talking to the guy on their left about how much better they are than the guy on their right. That's not what a choir does. That's not singing in harmony. No, musical harmony means that we each sing specifically structured notes so that chords are built, dissonance is removed, and a song moves forward in its progression. That's what harmony is about, and that is what we are called to, spiritually speaking. This is the kind of relationship that God calls us to in the church. And so when someone is in disharmony with another person or with other people, we are to come alongside that situation and help that person or those people refocus on Jesus, refocus on the gospel and the calling that God has given us. Because self-interest hinders the work of the Lord. That is the bottom line. That fact is reiterated again and again and again throughout the scriptures. That when I'm interested in myself and I am self, selfishly ambitious and selfishly motivated, the work of God is hindered in my life and through my life. But it's not just the work on the mission field that is hurt by quarreling Christians. It's their relationships with the Lord as well. Because we cannot be at peace with God if we are at odds with our brother. This is one of the very first principles we learn about in the Bible, right? A good illustration of this is Cain and Abel. Can you be at peace at God and at war with your brother? Of course not. And Jesus also taught on this principle. We are to love the Lord and our neighbor, neighbor not one or the other. And so if we hate our brother, then the Bible says the love of God is not within us. And if we're spending all our time quarreling with them and worried more about being right on an issue or right on some non-essential area rather than uh, yoking up together and being uh, uh, at peace with one another, uh, then we need to examine our relationship with the Lord. Again, Paul points out that these two women had worked for, with him for the sake of the gospel. These ladies weren't deadbeats. They had worked along with these others uh, listed in verse 3, Clement and the others. And he reminds them that their names are written in the book of life. And I think it was an interesting reminder, and there's you know a lot of different things we could talk about. Uh, but for me, there were two takeaways from that. Uh, the first is the just clear biblical understanding that Paul is talking to Christians, about Christians, concerning an issue of disunity within the church. And he's not talking about unbelievers here that, you know, he's not talking about you know, some of the other things he addresses, say, in the Corinthian church or something like that. This is something that happens in our churches, and it's something that we need to deal with in our personal lives and, and assist with in a Christ-like manner when we see it happening in our congregation. But the second takeaway for me is that it's just a good reminder that at the end of the day, I would rather have my name written in the Book of Life than in the Guinness Book of World Records. And there's nothing wrong with the Guinness Book of World Records. Here's what I mean by that. There's nothing wrong with achievements and things like that. But spiritually speaking, I'd rather be Christ-like than right in an argument. And, and that's what Paul is calling us to. Because the gospel is more important than my stance on some social or political issue. It's more important than my stance on some method of ministry or some non-essential doctrine or subject. That's the bottom line. And arguing needs to stop in the church because it hurts people. Instead, we're to live this way. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Very plain, very clear. This is our command. This is our calling. We talked a while back in this series about Paul's focus on rejoicing throughout this letter. And of course, rejoicing means that we delight in the Lord, not in other things. 
We delight in the Lord, not in being right. We delight in the Lord, not in winning converts to our earthly opinions. We should delight in the Lord and the work he wants to do here on the earth. So we're to have the same mind in the Lord and we're to rejoice in the Lord. That means that our thoughts, our activity, our ministry, and our desire should be rooted in and focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Not Jesus plus a bunch of other things, other pleasures, other pursuits, other philosophies. Just Jesus. That's what a disciple does. Full abandon to the Lord. That is the directive of this passage and the command given to us by God. However, it's a choice. That is also what you take away from this passage, that having a, the same mind in Christ and rejoicing in the Lord is a choice. We choose whether we're going to live in harmony with our fellow believers or whether we're going to be self-interested. We choose whether we're going to delight in the Lord or whether we're not going to delight in Him. We must choose this day whom we are going to serve. And so the question this morning is this. Are you a peacemaker or are you a peace breaker? Charles Spurgeon once said this in one of his sermons, The church of Christ is always quarreling. But do you ever hear that the devil and his, his confederates quarrel? There is a vast host of those fallen spirits, but how marvelously unanimous they uh, ever are. They are so united that if at any special moment the great black prince of hell wishes to concentrate all of his masses of all of his army at one particular point, it is done to the tick of a clock. And uh, that is an interesting perspective. The word God is doing in and through his people is serious, and so we need to be serious about choosing to live in joy and peace as we follow after the Lord this morning and throughout our lives. Amen? Amen. All right.